Hi, Damon. Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing great. I want to talk to you today about feeling big and feeling small. But first, we should probably explain who we are and what we're doing. That sounds good. Should I go first since I'm small? Sure, sure. You go first. My name is Damon Valentino, and I am trained in performance psychology. And I'm a high performance coach and a team facilitator. And I work with uh, any number of folks, some in the elite sport, high end business, all the way down to adolescence. Um, my, my goal as a professional is to connect with people, uh, kind of meet them where they're at and explore together as to how they can take next steps, how they can navigate all the ups and downs of our crazy human existence and, uh, hopefully enjoy some of that along the way. Hmm. I'm a journalist and author. My name is Jeremy Smith. I've written for the New York Times, The Atlantic, Discover, lots of other places. And I'm the author of three narrative nonfiction books, which means true stories about local food, about global health, and about hacking. And I tell everyone you're my therapist, psychologist, high-performance person. Uh, does that kind of work for you? I'm good with that. Absolutely. So our concept is the show is part public therapy session, part idea and story exchange. You're someone I come to help understand the best ways and best parts of being human and being alive and to explore the thoughts and feelings that come up in this life and then how to take action to find satisfaction, connection, and purpose within all that. I hope I'm not putting too much on you, but that's what I, that's kind of what I tell people I, I do with you when we talk. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. And I, you know, I, learn as much from you as you potentially learn from me. So this is certainly a two-way street. You flatter me and I, I, um, I love the flattery, <laughs> <laughs> uh, especially because that's our topic today. I've been, I've, I've been feeling small, um, a lot the past week and I'm hoping you can help me process that because sometimes it feels bad to feel small, like I'm nobody or nothing. And other times it actually feels good. Like I'm agile or invincible, kind of a leaf on the wave. And I've been playing with different meditation practices to give me the right perspective on it all. But I want to hear if and when you feel that way and how you make sense of it too. Does that sound all right? Absolutely. So um, I guess I'll talk about the, the tough side first. You know, it sort of comes down to purpose. We're in this big dramatic moment, a world crisis. What am I doing? How am I helping? What can I contribute? I have a lot of energy, but I'm home. I'm not sure what to write or who to write for. I have a kid to take care of. I have a partner to support. And my wife, Chrissy, is the executive director of a shelter for young mothers and their children who are homeless. So talk about purpose. And it's great to support her, and I'm actually loving all the extra time I have with our daughter, Rasa, who's nine. But this is one of those times that not having a normal job like other people, even though lots of people are out of work now, is hard for me. I'm jealous of regular jobs or just jobs, especially jobs with a lot of purpose. I want to do something so I can feel successful, and feeling like I'm not doing something and I'm not successful makes me feel small. And then I tell myself it's dumb to want more than what I have. I'm so privileged. But then fighting my feelings makes me feel even smaller. So those are the ways feeling small has been kind of make me feel bad the past week. Hmm. There's a lot packed into all of that, Jeremy. And I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind is, is around... Um, sort of the symbolism of the language itself. So, you know, you used words like, you know, small, obviously, and, and purpose and bad in terms of feeling. And, and I really do think in a way it's, it, it might seem uh, obvious to uh, kind of begin with how we speak. But I, but I do think that those 
symbols of those words, they, they kind of sock us in places and connect us to other experiences that we've had in our lives. And that those things can compound what you're actually feeling right now. You know, there's a really neat model called the ladder of inference. And in this model, essentially, if you can picture the rungs of a ladder where the bottom rung is just sort of reality, fact-based, and it's more objective. And then every time we sort of like, you know, kind of kind of creep up the rungs a little bit, we're starting to take little snippets of experience or stories or uh, sprinkling in some biases. Um, and we're starting to kind of create a new narrative from a little farther up the ladder that may or may not be true. And mm. so, so in that sense, I kind of want to just turn it back to you for a minute and just kind of think a little bit about the language you use as you kind of connected it to this moment. And are you, what with what you're saying right now, is it, do you have confidence that you are sort of objectively viewing yourself in this moment or are you bringing potentially some other, uh, you know, kind of energetic experiences with you to make this claim of being small, feeling bad, wanting to, to do more? Well, I don't think that I'm not succeeding, whatever that means, is an objective claim or that I am bad. I think feeling bad, hopefully I have a little bit better bead on. <laughs> I don't know if I need to trust my feelings as moral authorities, um, but, you know, they often grab the steering wheel in my mind and in my heart. If I go back, sure, there's tons of other times where something's not succeeding or it's not meeting the expectations or ambitions I had for it. And that makes me feel this same way that I'm calling feeling small. I'm sure I could call it any other number of things. Right. And if we were to use small and big as, as language and just sort of play an imagine if game before we kind of tackle the reality of maybe what you literally can do right now. So imagine if you felt big right now, what, what, what does that look like? What kind of narrative surrounds what kind of action? If you were to say to me right now, I feel big. I feel like I am exactly, my purpose is exactly aligned with with how I feel like it, sh it should be aligned. I mean, what does that look like? God, I feel like you tricked me because now I am actually scared. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, super exposed when I think of being big. I think of Gulliver's Travels or just, you know, some kind of giant. And it's like people are going to be like, rescue me or it's his fault or, you know, what, who is this monster? <laughs> and so it's funny that it turns out that maybe I, I don't want to feel big either. I mean, can I, 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 can I tell you the other times I feel small and that that's actually been a good feeling the last couple of weeks and maybe you can kind of weave them together to make yeah. sense of it all. Absolutely. So let me give you two examples. Almost every day at noon, I take a hike with Rasa up Mount Jumbo by our house. And by the end point, our house at the bottom is a teeny speck. Our neighborhood is a speck. Other people and even the whole city is a speck. And I get this land of the lost dinosaur size perspective and scale where I and everyone and everything is just like another pebble in the mountain. And I actually like that feeling. I just feel free to just be and witness it all. And I get this related feeling again at the end of the day when Ross and I usually take this walk around the park by our house and go birding. It's a new interest of mine. It's been the last month or two. She's been going with me. And the birds are so present. They are totally in the moment. There's constant motion, but even when they're kind of perched in one place, very, very, very poised. They're pecking, they're flying, they're feeding, they're singing. 
and I feel like all my senses are turned on to see them. It's that witness feeling again. It's like I'm how the universe sees and hears itself. I'm the eye of God to be kind of grandiose. <laughs> so I'm nothing, but I'm part of everything. So I don't know if that's being small or being big, but that's a good feeling or it feels good, I should say. Oh, I love that feeling. I, I know that feeling and it, and, and it is fleeting. Um, but when it, when it's, when I, when it lands, it is, it does just feel kind of all encompassing. And, you know, it reminds me of a, a really beautiful story that the, the Vietnamese Buddhist um, monk Thich Nhat Hanh once said, and he said that while they were leaving Vietnam in the seventies on, on the boat, that they encountered just horrific storms and they were attacked by pirates and the entire boat was just in this stressed, anxious state, obviously fearing for their lives. And he said, if one person on the boat could maintain a sense of being grounded, it could bring everyone else back into that state of being grounded. And mm. I, it just struck me how beautiful that is. I mean, we're in this period right now where there's a virus literally has overtaken the, the planet. And I, I, I view it in a way as in the same, in the same uh, lens, right? Like the virus of feeling grounded, the virus of being present is contagious. And while, while you're birding, while you're understanding scope and perspective, I could make an argument that that is purpose and that that is one of the most important things that you as a human being could do. Yes, we need people on the front lines and yes, we need people to care for the, you know, the less fortunate. And yet we all have our roles. And, and I think that there's a way to feel uh, more of that fullness, maybe not big, right? I, I don't want the, the Gulliver's travel, Jeremy, but the fullness of that you are being an active participant uh, in this human experiment and uh, life that we're all living by feeling that sense of, of connection and feeling present and feeling, uh, you know, indebted to allowing the universe to, to speak through you. And so then you could kind of turn it on its face and say, well, who are you to, you know, proclaim that you need to be doing more than, than the universe has allowed you to do? Mm. Um, that almost feels like coming from a place of ego. So, um, you know, it, it, in a way it does feel like when you sort of follow your bliss and you follow that, the, that inner intuition, you, you're placing yourself exactly on that hillside as one of those pebbles, exactly where you need to be for that mountain to, to sustain and, and hold itself up. It's interesting when I think about the troubled feeling small, it has to do with doing and not doing enough. And when I think about the positive and sometimes even transcendent feeling of feeling small, it has to do with being embedded and just being and witnessing. I love that. I, I, I agree. I mean, it's my daughter uh, this morning came in and she's like, I'm bored. I want to do something. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And she rattled off a bunch of things that included me doing them with her. And we had that moment with that kind of cliche, uh, you know, teachable moment around, well, are you a human doing or are you a human being? And, <laughs> that was great and, at eight-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, she loved it. Yeah. She, well, first she looked at me like, what are you talking about, Dad? But but in a, in a way, I mean, the, the miracle of life and the fact that we're even here, I I, I feel like one of the one of the elements of our current situation in this world is that people have had to slow down. And and I catch myself all the time. I'm not doing something and I'm not being productive enough. There's always something I should be doing. Um, in a sense, it just feels like living in this speedboat. 
and that you just have the throttle down all the time and we're sort of con- you know collecting really surface level droplets of water as like you know information and data and productivity and what do i need to bring with me as i kind of haul ass on the surface and and all of a sudden that boat the engine died out and we have no yeah. oar and we're just bobbing up and down being and where when did it occur when did it happen where that were just being wasn't enough um mm. and i'm i'm just really curious about how how you see that and what kind of frame that comes through with with is there a sense of guilt of just birding and meditating and hanging out with your daughter and going for a hike where does it come from no i mean there's it really nourishes me and it feels really good and i think you know where we got being is just being is not enough is is from a lot of places <laughs> <laughs> but i think we can just stop uh and recenter with being being enough i remember you you were i love the speedboat metaphor and i feel like you you gave me you know our last conversation a quick taste of it too and i loved you just sort of said what do people do when this giant speedboat of our economy our country our civilization that was roaring so fast it stops and i think you said you know some people are noticing the birds on the shore that they couldn't see or they couldn't hear before. And some people are going in the water and going swimming and playing around. And some people are diving into the water and instead of seeing how fast we can go, how deep we can go and what's, what's really underneath. And then hilariously, you know, some people are kicking the motor trying to get it started again. And I thought that was just brilliant, all those different observations. And I guess we need all those kinds of people. And we probably each are all those kinds of people uh, in the course of our lives, but probably these days in the course of every day. Um, and I guess what I'm hearing from you is, you know, be okay with whoever you are in the moment you are. And there's just a lot of beauty and a lot of richness and a lot of service potentially in each of those roles. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. And, you know, I mean, we're always constantly in this battle, you know, we have this very ancient part of our brain that its main job is to sort of keep us safe. And it's, it cares about survival and survival only. It does not care if we're happy. Hmm. And that to me is kind of an eye opener for, when I kind of get myself kind of stuck in a rut. And then we have a more evolved brain that's a little bit more, you know, in charge of reasoning and logic and just seeing the picture a little bit clearer. And as you can imagine, if we as a species made it this far, this this long, you know, that ancient part of our brain has a lot of power over how we perceive the world. In fact, it's the research shows that it's about a nine to one negative to positive in terms of our biases. So we have to push against it. And I think that sometimes the narrative, that's kind of why I started with language with asking you about language, because I think sometimes the narrative that we, um, you know, ruminate over in our minds, um, ends up wiring these sort of super highways inside of our brains that, are not helpful in terms of making us feel happy, um, filling us with that sense of awe and wonder and uh, reminding us of how grateful we are for little moments like sharing time with our daughter and uh, just being the most uh, kind of peaceful and centered human being that we can be, we, we slough those things aside as if they should just be that should, we should, well, of course I should be, uh, you know, somebody who's a nice person and of course, Oh yeah, I did that nice thing the other day, but I also did these other you know things that weren't so good. And, and we were really quick to snap, uh, and very late to praise. 
And, and so we have to push back against that. And, you know, and I think some of the practices that are tried and true and heavily researched are around uh, gratitude. They're around mindfulness, where we can sort of create that pause in between stimulus and response and give ourselves give ourselves a chance to respond from a more intentional place. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean we, we're going to get back to sort of the one-to-one ratio with this, but, you know, we can get, we can get closer to, um, you know, not flogging ourselves and, and not giving ourselves and, uh, you know, any credit or any praise for, um, you know, the, the, the beauty of uh, our own personal human experience. And so, yeah, I, I, I do think that at the end of the day, um, reframing, uh, and, and sort of, uh, skewing some of our thinking, some of our behavior, some of our actions towards, uh, you know, highlighting the things that we're doing well is really important and that it's real easy to get stuck with, um, the language of small or bad, or I feel sad. Um, when in actuality, it might not even be that that's true. It might be that there's a deeper meaning underneath that general word. And there's a really neat practice around that called emotional granularity, where instead of just using one of those labels that are so, you know, we're so quick to use, we actually take a pause and think a little deeper. Am I actually really mad right now? And then, you know, if we, if we get used to this practice, Sometimes we see underneath it that we're actually feeling a little defensive or we're feeling a little hurt or any other number of things. So investigating a little bit deeper to get closer to the real meaning is, I think, essential and, and probably more essential now than ever. Mm. I, I wanted to share, I think, four practices I've tried this week and two were brought to me and two... Uh, I guess I was inspired uh, by my own imagination to kind of come up with. Uh, is that all right? Of course. Yeah. So one that came with to me first was pretty straightforward. It was at my yoga class, of course, via Zoom now. Hmm. And the teacher just started by saying, put your one hand on your heart, put one hand on your stomach. And just thank your body in this way. Say, thank you for being so worried about me. (laughs) Thank you for being really, really concerned. And I'm okay now. I'll be fine for the next hour for sure. And I totally appreciate the care you've given me and the concern um, but I'm, I'm okay. I, I'm actually feeling really big and feeling really strong right now. And I've got it from here. And I, I just thought that was so beautiful. Like the kid asking for the, 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 the play date or something, you know, can I just go do this without your hunching my shoulders for an hour? <laughs> I really like that. And I, I, you know, maybe the word isn't big. It's, it's more about spaciousness mm-hmm. and, and, and there is something about, especially now when we are on this physical distancing tick to uh, allow ourselves some of that human touch, um, you know, really feel like, um, it's just an undervalued, uh, practice to hand on, on belly, hand on heart and speaking to ourselves. Uh, and the idea of not fighting your feeling and also not giving into your feeling, but saying, thank you. And I've got it. Exactly. Having a relationship with, you know, it's, it's like weather patterns, you know, it's like, okay, a thunderstorm is coming through. You know, if, 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 when we realize that, that that was the case, we went into lockdown mode and batten down the hatches and close all the windows and go into the basement um, and run and hide from it or to 
maybe you give it more power than it deserves and start to become a storm chaser. Either one of those things is going to, you know, prolong the experience, number one, and, and sort of uh, create a different, uh, you know, an outsized um, reaction to a natural event. And all those emotions that are, that are run, roaming through us, you know, they are part of us. And, you know, without those uh, quote-unquote negative or darker emotions, we wouldn't even know what a light or happy emotion would be. So, you know, having that kind of relationship, it reminds me of um, the San people in Africa who live in, um, they live with wild lions. And they have this unbelievably beautiful, elegant way of mitigating their relationship with the lions uh, and not getting eaten, eaten, right? So say, for example, if, if a San person was out in the bush and they confronted a lion, the way they would go about um, kind of um, de-escalating the situation would be they would start to walk away on an angle without making eye contact with a lion, mm. but, they, but they would lift their voice into a slightly more authoritative uh, tone and they would just be speaking to the lion, um, and they would they would not look back at it. They would they would be kind of giving it a little bit of that stern uh, verbal. Um, and I'm not even sure if it matters so much what they're saying, but they're sort of walking away on this diagonal away from the lion. And so they've figured out how to do this and how to sort of you know uh, live and cohabitate the same region with um, you know. Uh, one of the larger predators on the planet. And there's something about the, the imagery of that that just seems so beautiful to me where it, it kind of reminds me of what you just said. It's like, yeah, I f- hello, fear. I feel you. Hello, uh, anxiety. Hello, stress. Um, I feel you. I hear you. I respect you, but not right now. I'm doing okay. I've got it right now. I can hold on to the wheel. And it's almost this diagonal um, exit where you're still acknowledging it, but you're doing so in a way where there's movement, um, there's respect, um, but that you're where you're going. And we know this in sort of the psychological space, but you, you, you typically, you go where you look and, mm. and if you're looking at, I've heard that in sports for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out that's true in, in, in life as well. It turns out it's true in life as well. And, and, and what a, it's just a beautiful practice to, uh, sort of like tangibly um, have that relationship um, and and to sort of talk yourself on a diagonal away from it. And that's the other thing we know is that we can shift state pretty quickly. So, and I think that sometimes I feel like we, we feel like we get stuck. And and so that would be, that would, to me is, is the example of, of when it goes wrong, right? When, when we're either fighting it or we're trying to push it into the closet these uncomfortable feelings, what we're doing right there is we're just giving it all of our attention or our, our focus is on the, the, the uncomfortable feeling or that dark, dark space. And if we were to do more things like the practice that you just shared with me, um, then there's movement and there's action and soon, you know, you, you're, you're sort of onto the next thing. Um, doesn't have to be fixed or solved. It can be talked to and it can be, you know, respectfully. And, and, and then we can sort of like move uh, on an angle away. I think it's pretty hilarious that I had to go to a yoga class to learn this because I live in Montana. We actually have bears, grizzly <laughs> bears, uh, black bears. And so all these things that you're talking about of, you know, people that, you know, sound wonderful in Africa. I'm like, oh yeah, we get taught that here. I mean, I've had <laughs> bears at my daughter's bus stop, and you know, they're like, and she, of course, because she actually was born here, she grew up here. She really knows what to do. She's like, you know, you hold hands and you back away slowly. You do not run away from a bear. 
Uh, and you also do not try to fight a bear. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, uh, this isn't even a metaphor. This is you know, something that I've, <laughs> I've experienced. I've literally been walking with my kid down the street holding her hand and basically seeing a bear walking with her kid down the street holding the bear's <laughs> hand. Wow. And uh, that's when I got the, the lowdown from Rasa, who was quite calm uh, in that experience. But beautiful um, all right so the metaphor is real uh the other one even funnier is that you had to go to the the, the yoga class on zoom as yes. well yeah. <laughs> well i got it yeah uh yes and now you know i guess now people go to the zoo via zoom so you know the bear the bears the yogis we're all we're all in this together that's right uh, um you know the other metaphor i heard was from the leader of my local meditation group, a woman named Nicole Dunn. And she shared this metaphor of the driver's seat. And the idea is that you're in a car and who's driving? <laughs> are you driving or are, is your dominant emotion driving anger, jealousy, fear, you know, whatever it is. And she's like, cause anger is a really bad driver. And we'll just take you to all these crazy places really fast. And it's scary, but you've often have given it the driver's wheel, you know, the, the wheel. At the same time, if you try to kick it out of the car, it doesn't work either. Then it gets really upset and sits right up front of the driver's seat and is poking you the whole time and giving you really bad advice and kind of grabbing for the wheel. And so if you kind of think of yourself not just as one seat but a whole car – with these different passengers, then you can say, okay, you know, it's sort of the, the kid in the back seat that's going to throw a Cheerio at you, but is not, you know, you don't want to give the wheel to just let, let the feelings in and just have them be in the back seat. If you're not, you know, if they're not s steering you well and meanwhile, have the positive feelings, uh, the higher feelings, the sort of more evolved consciousness, if you can have that in the front seat, uh, in your passenger seat uh, as you drive and just kind of stop every once in a while and think, you know, who's who's driving? Who have I given the wheel to? Can I sort of take the wheel but meanwhile have everybody in the car? And that's kind of helped me, you know, not kind of feel one-minded one way or the other. I don't know if that's resonant metaphor for you too. Yeah, I love that one. I love that one. And yeah, it's, I, I've, I've used something similar to that where you're in, – instead of driving a car, you're driving a bus. Hmm. And it's like, you know, hey, more room. Bad, exactly. Get in the back of the bus. And, and, you know, what's really interesting about all of this is that we, you know, we pride ourselves on being able to multitask and hold all this different information at the same time. And the truth is, is that we cannot actually. It's a lie. It's, it's, a, totally lie. Lie. it's a myth. And so we're actually focusing on one thing, uh, one and, and then another thing uh, very quickly, right? And so with fear, or with any anger, any of these emotions, if you were just to shift, you know, imagine yourself holding up your iPhone and the camera's open and it's on fear or it's on anger, for example. Um, instead of trying to erase the picture, or delete it. Um, right. throw, scream and throw the phone, at the phone at a rock or in the river. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, throw, your, throw the rock in a river. How about if we just sort of like merely shift the phone so that it's pointed at something else? may say something a little more positive, productive, enjoyable. That's really the muscle. That's really the skill. I think we get caught up too much with grappling with the actual emotion. Um, and we forget about the fact that there's really, it's, it's, the, it's the shift away. It's the reframe of, you know, anger being a, a, a terrible driver. And the other part of this that just to kind of uh, carry that one on a little bit further is there's an underrated uh, tech technique, in my opinion, is humor. Hmm. If, if we can be snarky, a little sarcastic, um, if we can kind of make uh, make light of the situation that we're in, it it does a really good job of kind of flushing away a little bit of that stress and kicking us out of that fight or flight freeze state. And um, get, if we can get a good chuckle, you know, a, a lot of that humor that uh, kind of, uh, you know, that, that most people enjoy. It's, it's kind of this, 
you know, self-effacing type stuff where, you know, you, you know, you're, you're watching the character kind of fumble through. And I don't know if you've ever tried that one where in the moment, you know, you're, you know, you, something kind of rose up in you and it feels like it's got a grip of you, you know, try to, try to like channel your inner comedian in that moment as well. And, and even if you're going to use the metaphor of the, you know, the driver's seat or getting in the back of the car, you could even use that same kind of language in a way that's not so um, soft and tender, but it's a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of New York City and and just, uh, um, you know, kind of shock your system out of kind of getting hooked into, oh, no, here we are again, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about just taking the wheel back, and I've been trying this really simple exercise, really simple, where I take a breath through my nose and feel it through my nose. And then I listen for three distinct sounds. And it just kind of brings me back to the present or puts me back in the driver's seat. It kind of takes me off the thought track and puts me in that witnessing and that being embedded that I was talking to you about. And it kind of gives me that perspective. It's almost like I'm now the rock on the mountain looking down at the speck that was my consuming feeling. Uh, and it's, you know, pretty simple. Obviously there's much more elaborate or not even much more, but a little bit more elaborate kind of sensory check-ins one can do and breath check-ins one can do. But I was like, this is doable. It's so doable. It's like, I can take a breath. I can hear three sounds before I try to deal with a problem that may actually just be a feeling. I think that's absolute gold. And, and it's these little mini wins. And that's the other part of this is I think sometimes we feel like we have to you know, reinvent the wheel and, and go through these elaborate processes. But it, it is as simple as that. It, you know, if, if you think about riding a bike, for example, and you, when you're holding the steering wheel, you know, unless you're taking massive kind of 90 degree turns, oftentimes you're making these little micro adjustments. You know, you're just sort of like, you know, moving the wheel just slightly here and there. Handlebars, unless you're a motorbike. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and those little micro adjustments are that that's the secret sauce to being able to sort of stay consistently in the place that you want to stay. Mm. So taking the breath, coming to your senses, you know, you know, hearing, you know, smelling, seeing whatever, touching three things, um, that's a micro adjustment and that, that alone will help you to sort of get out of the default mode um, and sort of that rumination of, of thinking that, that ends up being really disastrous for us. And, and in terms of breathing, breathing is one of the most underrated, you know, it's, it's obviously, um, taken for granted. We all breathe. We all, you know, I think if, if you asked anybody, Hey, do you know how to breathe? They would kind of roll their eyes and be like, yeah, I'm breathing right now, pal, you know, come on. But the way we breathe uh, can send signals to our brain, and it's the one the one thing that we know for sure. Um, there's where there's a super highway from your body to your autonomic nervous system, and in a specific breath that is um, kind of the latest uh, kind of uh, research through neuroscience is um, I call it the eighty twenty slow and low. Bit, but that's just me throwing on my own label. Onto Never heard it. of it. I'm yeah, ready to right. learn how to breathe. Talk, talk yeah, to Yeah, right. So it's through your nose and it's inhaling about 80% of to capacity. And then when you get to 80%, then you sort of quickly breathe in the last 20. And then a slow, low exhale through your mouth. That's it. Simple, simple, simple. And there's a nerve that's connected to our diaphragm called the phrenic nerve. And I'm sure you've heard of the vagus nerve. And it's this whole elaborate um, highway of nerves in our body. Um, but there's one particular part of the vagus nerve that's connected to our diaphragm. And when we do this, this 80-20 where you breathe in mostly and then you give it a little bit of that kick at the end, it sends a signal up that phrenic nerve that goes, all, that goes into your brain has a direct channel right into your brain that everything is cool. We can chill. Everything's all right. And it's just, it's an incredibly simple and yet powerful way to navigate yourself out of that fight flight state 
where most of us live in this sort of chronic low-grade stress. Some of us not so low-grade after all. Um, but it just made me think of it when you said that, you know, using these simple, small, kind of offline, low-hanging fruit practices, you know, are we, we, you know, we think that, you know, how effective could that really be? Well, it can be incredibly effective. Yeah, I mean, for me, the big revelation has been before you try to solve your problem, you know, try one of these funny breathing things and see if you even have a problem or don't even see just probably you don't have a problem. <laughs> right. Assume you don't have a problem. So change the default assumption. Oh, I've got this problem. I need to do this, that. And it's like, well, try these breaths and just continue on and see if it comes back. It's kind of like, well, you know, if you get enough sleep, if you drink some water, do you still feel that way before you try to solve something? That's absolutely true. And, and kind of back to the emotional granularity piece that I was talking about earlier, one of the reasons to take that deeper dive and to investigate a little further about what am I actually really feeling is because we have a, our brain allots our body a budget and it, and it budgets for, you know, the most basic survival things. Let's keep our heart going. Let's keep, you know, oxygen coming through our lungs, uh, keep our organs functioning and the like. And it bases its budget on past experience. So if we are, uh, like you, to your point, if we're, you know, these categories of wellness, I, I think I like to think of them as kind of like, you know, these like six kind of areas, like the wellness wheel. Um, but if we haven't had proper sleep, um, you know, our cognitive function goes down. If we are dehydrated, also the same thing. Um, you know, if we haven't, if we've been too sedentary, if our nutrition is poor, right? I mean, all these things, uh, they have a, a compound effect on, on how we feel. And so oftentimes, it, instead of treating emotions like through the psychological lens, um, you know, there's a lot of real credible science around treating those emotions as if they're a virus. So instead of, instead of the prescription being, you know, I, I'm sad and, you know, and I need to explore, you know, my sadness. It's I'm sad. Oh, I, you know what? I haven't been eating very well and I haven't been sleeping at all. So why don't I'm going to start there? Um, yeah, I'll go on a hike to clear my head before I solve a problem and I'll come down and I won't have the problem. <laughs> yeah, right. It's almost I mean, it's 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 kind of humbling because it's like, oh, you know, it's just this is so much fiction of, you know, my, I'm living in this, this drama that's, that's not real. And if I just kind of, you know, kept walking or breathed a little deeper, uh, you know, I'd, I'd wake up to, to a totally different reality. So true. I mean, you know, embodied cognition, you know, they, the neuroscientists like to say that, you know, the body is the mind. And so that hike that you just took is a way to quell the mind and, you know, if you think about the brain, I mean, think about like the physical, um, imagery of the brain, it's, it's locked in this, you know, pitch black casing. It, it doesn't, the brain doesn't see, it doesn't hear or smell it. It, it takes signals from our senses and it makes meaning. It makes reality out of those things. And yet, and here's the other piece that just kind of just really just, I, I kind of get a kick out of it. And it also just feels like, uh, Hey, little dum-dums let's, let's all kind of wake up a little bit on this, but yeah. we are the most cynical people when it comes to sort of the external, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, what's that classic phrase? Like, Oh, I'll believe it when I see it, you know, we, it, you know, Oh, that, that person's a snake oil salesman or a charlatan, or, you know, there's, there's always this cynicism to not always, but um, that, that as a species is something that we've, we've always been, um, uh, we kind of err on the side of, oh, I'll believe it when I see it. And yet here are these thoughts that come streaming through our heads. Um, some research says we have 60,000 a day, some even more. Um, and they've been categorized as typically being about nine out of 10 negative, typically being about nine out of 10 repeat thoughts. And yet, one of those things pops in our heads, boom, we buy that thing hook, line, and sinker <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. This idiot in the paper or the mayor or the news or whatever or this athlete. But meanwhile, we've got you know the, the real charlatans are in our own heads. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so go take a hike, go get a, you know, eat a proper meal, hydrate yourself, 
tick off all those boxes before you start to, you know, analyze it too, too much farther than that. I'm not even going to get into the other two things I've been trying because I just want to go breathe. (laughs) Uh, I want to go breathe for a week and then I'll tell you about them or or not next time. But you know what, you know, how would you kind of, you know, wrap up kind of what we've covered and sort of say next steps besides trying that, what is it called? 80, 20, 80, 20, low and slow, 80, 20, low and slow. Yeah. Yeah. Any other kind of, uh, uh, parting words on what we've talked about? Well, first of all, I, before, before I kind of give parting words, I'll, I'll, I'll give maybe a, a little summary around, um, the moment and, and what, yes. what it is that, I, that I see a couple bullet points to pull out of this. And, and, um, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants and, and I believe this was a Navy SEAL retired and a neuroscientist who framed it this way, but it, the type of stuff that people in my business, um, you know, try to distill. And number one, we're, many of us are feeling overwhelmed right now. And when we are, uh, one of the best uh, action steps to do is to change the game, change the finish line. Instead of thinking, if you are if you're, to go back to your mountain analogy, if the goal is to climb the mountain and then it's Mount Everest and we're at base camp, you know, you don't want to be thinking about trying to get to the top of the mountain. You want to be thinking about that first marker. And so that can be as simple as I'm going to go make a mindful cup of coffee in my house. Yesterday I made a, what was, what ended up being the most, the most, uh, perfect bowl of macaroni and cheese with peas for my daughter. (laughs) It was exquisite. And, and it was exquisite because I was a hundred percent present doing it. And I, in a sense, gamified it. And I wanted, I wanted to see if I could be wholly committed to making that process be something that was, that felt almost magical. I made so, really good pasta last night too. And my wife was saying, how did you do it? And I was like, well, I actually chopped the vegetables and then I put the water in, in, and then I did the other stuff in like three different steps. So I had like done this prep work for me. And so I was just super relaxed at each stage. So I love, we had our, our, our macaroni and cheese, uh, <laughs> Uh, peak experience, peak performance at the same time, it sounds like. Mind, yeah, mindful macaroni for sure. So yeah, when you're overwhelmed, pick one thing, shrink your focus down and do that thing mindfully. Do that thing as well as you can do it. The other thing that seems to be true right now is that most of us feel somewhat powerless. And when we feel powerless, you know, that's when we can kind of spin out of control. So the remedy really is to take action. Um, you know, as you started this conversation, I feel small. Um, what can I do to help? You know, one thing I've been doing lately when I, when I've been feeling isolated and how can I get out there and help? I actually, uh, came across a beautifully elegant, um, uh, uh, website called human alone. And it's, I believe it's human dot alone. And really all it is, is that you, uh, you agree to uh, put your face on the screen and then there are people from all around the world that also agree to do that. And you spend one minute staring at one another and no, no language is needed, no talking. And so when I'm feeling powerless, that's one of the ways that I've been taking action is just to stare to, to smile kindly with kind eyes at another human being out there in the world somewhere. Be with someone. Be with someone. Find a way to be with. Find a way to take some action. There's all. There are always things you can do. You know. I think it's human dot online. Human dot online. Th- okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take your word for it. And then the last one is, you know, a lot of us are feeling alone right now with all this, you know, social and physical distancing, and it's counterintuitive to think this way. But find a way to support someone else. Hmm. And that yeah. can be in your own house. It can be your garden. It can be your grandmother. It can be, uh, as I said, just sort of like, you know, making contact with another person, donating a little bit of money. Um, find, find one thing that you can do to support someone else. And I think that those three things, if you can, if you can do that, you're really kind of harnessing your biology in a way to kind of keep you even keeled through all of this. Um, so that we're not going down sort of the, that negative path. 
And with that, I would just turn it to our our opening conversation about you feeling small and 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 after you know our in nearly one hour of talking, how do you now feel, and how would you frame um, how, how you felt an hour ago compared to how you feel now? I feel grateful. I feel calm. I'm excited. I've been sort of surreptitiously sneaking deep breaths since you told me about them. <laughs> <laughs> me and too. hopefully uh, I'm trying to not do it right into the mic, but <laughs> it's, it's exciting. It's crazy. You talk about gamifying. It's like, oh, when breathing is this new and exciting challenge. And you're like, What's, what doors is this going to open? Uh, you know, all of a sudden the rest of the day seems, seems sort of uh, pretty grand. And I love those micro accomplishment recommendations. And they really do build because what do we have but one present moment at a time? So making the mac and cheese is, is uh, beautifully is beautiful. And doing something that makes you smile and someone else smile. A neighbor dropped off chalk at a bunch of houses on our block. And everyone just had a little treat. And then the sidewalks just got filled up with the houses that had kids and had creative adults. And so that just even made like, you know, now our main contact with the outside world is like FedEx or UPS or the mail person. And it just makes them smile. They're seeing people anxious all the time. And now they see all these beautiful drawings on the sidewalk. And you can kind of imagine, you know, one sidewalk square at a time kind of being connected to make the world you know, beautiful and powerful and inspiring. That's amazing. I'll, I'll leave you with uh, the haiku that's in front of my house on the sidewalk right now that was uh, co-created by my nearly eight-year-old daughter, Lydia, and myself. It goes like this. They want us apart. The virus of compassion keeps us together. Hmm. And I will give you some lyrics from John Prine, The Speed of the Sound of Loneliness. You come home late and you come home early. You come home big when you're feeling small. You come home straight and you come home curly. Sometimes you don't come home at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Jeremy. So as I'll a try to move from uh, big to small to straight to curly. Yeah. But make sure you come home. That's all. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, uh, as always, it's been a pleasure to share space and time with you. Uh, I feel better after this hour as well. So thanks for the conversation. And um, I feel like I'm going to move through the rest of my day feeling um, a little bit more, a little bit more pep, a little bit more uh, cheery. So thank you. Thank you. Come back again now. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy M. Smith and produced by Matt Mullins of Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive.